0: As I mentioned, we do begin this new sermon series today. It's entitled Words of the Wise from the book of Proverbs. And over the next 10 weeks, we will look at different verses from this book in order to gain godly insight for our everyday life together as the people of God. And while this book is attributed to Solomon, Israel's wisest king, the truth is that this is a collection of wisdom sayings that come from many wise sages. And today, we start in chapter 1, the very beginning of this book, which sets the stage for the purpose of the book, saying this, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair. I don't know if y'all know this or not, but tomorrow marks the first day of school for all of Watauga County. Kids, if you didn't know that, I'm sorry, but I've got bad news for you. Tomorrow marks the first day of school. Teachers, if you did not know that, I remind you, tomorrow marks the first day of school. Elementary kids, middle school kids, high school kids, and even for Appalachian State University students. We all know that education is important for gaining wisdom and understanding in different areas of our lives. And so we study different subjects in school, such as math, science, English and social studies, art, music, and even physical education. Of course, we are not limited to such subjects the scope of education goes beyond these categories as we continue to study and learn over the years. So I sympathize with all of you who are going back to school this week because even your pastor is going back to school this week as I begin a new journey and a doctoral program beginning this Thursday. So as you guys whine and complain about homework, come talk to me and I will whine and complain about homework with you. But the truth is is that education, whether public or private, is not a one-time thing. Even though we may go off to school and graduate from high school and get our diploma, or go to college and, and get our diploma there, or maybe even going beyond that and pursuing a master's degree, or even going beyond that and pursuing a doctoral degree, or doing it a couple of times, learning... Is a lifetime thing. We are all lifetime learners. And our learning is meant to be applied in all areas of our lives, not only to provide a good life for ourselves, but also for the benefit of others. Think about it for a moment. Physicians do not go to school simply so that they can make a good salary and have a good living. They have to go for more than that. Surely their desire is to help people who cannot help themselves, bringing healing to the sick. Likewise, our education is not just for the benefit of ourselves, but also for the benefit of those around us. And so the book of Proverbs begins with the end in mind. Namely, that these wise sayings are meant to share wisdom and instruction, not so that someone can gloat and say that they're smarter and wiser than someone else, but in order to help us live rightly. They are given to us to help us make wise decisions in thought, word, and in deed, and to live in righteousness doing what is just and right and fair And following this great wisdom benefits the individual, but also the community in which the individual resides. But these wisdom sayings are like no other, for they are rooted in the covenant promise of the life lived under the Lord's reign, the God of Israel, Yahweh, the unspoken reverent name of this God. Wisdom is gleaned from this book, that is intended to cultivate fruitful and godly lives that reflect the very nature of God, the one who called Israel as his own. And these sayings are intended to guide everyone, in fact, to give prudence to, to the simple, which refers to those who are uneducated, but who are open to instruction, often gullible and easily influenced. They're also given to the young, which refers to those who lack maturity, who are easily deceived and manipulated, and also to the wise, who are mature, but who still need counsel to continue exercising exercising maturity and judgment. No one is excluded from learning. There is no application process required to gain access to this education. In fact, it doesn't require us to have a high grade point average or even a high SAT score. This education is open to everyone. And so today, God invites every single one of us to learn and to gain true wisdom that comes from the author of wisdom itself, the God of heaven and earth. And so, the very first proverb, the very first instruction is this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, I don't know about you, but fear is not something that we often view in a positive light, right? All of us have differing and various fears, and I would dare say that fear isn't generally what promotes a love for God. So why is it that the first proverb tells us that we are to fear the Lord, that that is where we begin to be afraid of God. And I find that so many people have a warped sense of the Christian faith because of fear, living their life in constant guilt, fearing that God will punish them for their sins both now and forever. Is that what God wants from us? To tremble like an abused animal before their master? Is that what God wants for us? The simple answer is no. No. That's a wrong understanding of the fear of the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 10 verses 12 and 13 say it this way, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good? You see, the fear of the Lord can be understood in one of two ways. One is to have a reverent awe of God. This is recognizing how awesome God really is and, in humility, recognizing how small we are in the big picture of God's story. Our response to God is nothing but gratitude for God's grace in calling us into his life. And the other is best understood as a healthy respect for God's authority to acknowledge that God is sovereign and in control and that you and I are not. It's allowing God to have the rightful place as Lord over everything and not allowing ourselves to try to remove him from his throne. Our response is obedience to his lordship and grace in claiming us as his own. And this is all rooted in the context in the story of Israel. For God claimed them as his people through the story that we know called the Exodus. And then he gave them his law as wisdom and direction for how they were to live in response to his grace. But so often when we read God's law, the Ten Commandments, for instance, we don't necessarily see it as life-giving. We see it as negative. We sometimes view it as a killjoy and sucking out the life of what we could be living together. We see them as a list of don'ts, negatives that prevent us from really experiencing the fun of life. I mean, you know the commandments. Do not lie. Do not steal. Do not commit adultery. Do not covet. Honor your father and mother. Love the Lord your God. No idols. Honor the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. But these laws are more than don'ts. These laws reflect the character and the integrity and the nature of the God who gave them to Israel, the God that we serve, the God who has claimed you and I as his own. The truth is, God doesn't lie to us, He is truthful always. He doesn't murder us in our disobedience. Thank God, He's patient and he loves us with a steadfast love. God is not unfaithful to us. He is always with us, even in our disobedience. You see, God's law provides several things. First, it reflects who God is. Secondly, it provides healthy boundaries for us to live. And finally, it marks and defines us as people belonging to God and our obedience to them. It kind of reminds me of my favorite Disney movie, The Lion King, which apparently has now been remade and is in theaters again, and I have not yet seen it that way. But if you've ever seen The Lion King, you know the story. It is about the Lion King, whose name is Mufasa, and he has a son who is supposed to be the next in line to be the king of the Pride Land, Simba. And Simba is able to enjoy all the pride land. In fact, his father tells him, look out, look at this pride land. You can go anywhere you want to in this pride land. It is yours. But there is one place you are forbidden to go. The elephant graveyard. You cannot go over there. Because Mufasa knows that if his son goes to the elephant graveyard, that there are lurking hyenas that will destroy him and kill him. It is not a safe place for him to be. So, what happens? Well, like any child who is told, don't do something, Simba gets curious and decides, Dad's holding back from me. There's something over there that's going to be fun, and he doesn't want me to enjoy it. And so he takes his friend Nala, and they do exactly what his father tells him not to do. They go to the elephant graveyard, and in doing that, they discover the very hyenas that Mufasa knew were there that could destroy them, and then they find themselves cornered with no place to go, about to experience their own demise. Thankfully, his father had learned that they had gone over there, and he shows up, and he fights off the hyenas and saves them from destruction. Simba, relieved while he and Nala are okay, is now scared to death because he must face the wrath of his father. I want to show you what happens next. Zazu. Yes, sire? Take Nala home. I've got to teach my son a lesson. Come, Nala. Simba. Good luck. Hmm. Simba! Simba, I'm very disappointed in you. I know. You could have been killed. You deliberately disobeyed me. And what's worse, you put Nala in danger. I was just trying to be brave like you. I'm only brave when I have to be. Simba, being brave doesn't mean you go looking for trouble. But you're not scared of anything. I was today. You were? Yes. I thought I might lose you. Oh, I guess even kings get scared, huh? Mm-hmm. But you know what? What? I think those hyenas were even scared. Because <laughs> nobody messes with your dad. Come here, you. <laughs> oh, no, no! <laughs> ah, 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 come here. The fear of the Lord. It's much like this. It's a healthy, corrective fear that doesn't lead to demise, but restoration and grace. It's a fear that turns us away from rebellion towards God's ways. The hymn Amazing Grace says it best in its second verse. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom because God loves us so much that he has called us into his grace and in doing so he has claimed us as his own and given us direction through his law not to withhold anything from us but to protect us from the ravenous hyenas who seek only to steal, kill, and destroy us. Grace teaches us to fear the Lord rightly. But the proverb says, But fools despise wisdom and instruction. The truth is, sometimes all of our education can get into our heads and make us think that we're wiser than we really are. And sometimes this leads us to do things that are in conflict with God's commands. Sometimes we allow our emotions and our heart to lead us astray, refusing to listen to the wisdom embedded in our minds, and before we know it, we find ourselves in a mess, just like Simba. Sometimes we are deceived into believing that we don't need God's help, and so we do things our own way. And as you can see, this not only affects us, but it often affects others as well. You see, I think one of the biggest mistakes that we as Christians often make is that we separate the sacred from the secular. We separate the sacred from the secular. And what I mean by this is that we have a tendency to come to church, the sacred. And we go through the motions of worship. We come and worship. But so often when we leave worship and we leave the church and we exit those doors, we leave behind with it what we've just given and what we've just received. We enter into the weak, the secular, as if nothing has really transformed or changed in our lives, allowing us to repeat the pattern of doing what we think is right in our own. And then we come back to the church confessing our sins, receiving God's grace, only to return back to the secular once more as we have before. In other words, what we do is we put our faith on like a jacket, and we wear it where we want to or when we need to, and then we choose to take it off when we feel constrained. But we are instructed in Proverbs To trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. True wisdom is not found from within ourselves, but by looking to the Lord for guidance in all things. Read the book of Judges, and if you read it, you will find this phrase multiple times. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. Let me tell you, that did not turn out so well in the book of Judges. This inclination always led the Israelites away from God, rejecting him as their king and refusing to submit to his lordship. And in doing so, God gave them a corrective consequence that was often painful but was really an act of God's grace that would lead them back into his arms again. You see, separating the sacred and the secular is not what we're called to do. While we live in a world where fools despise wisdom and instruction, we are called to be the people of God who acknowledge that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, and therefore there is no such dichotomy, for everything in this world is the Lord's, therefore it is sacred. And because of this, we are called and claimed by God to live into a healthy fear of the Lord that empowers us to live in obedience in everything that we do. I mean, did you catch what the proverb just said? We are to trust in the Lord with all of our hearts. And in all our ways, we are to submit to him. This means that we can't just give bits and pieces to God and say, Okay, God, I trust you with this part of my life, but I don't really trust you here. I'm going to hold on to this, and I'll give you this. That's not what God wants from us. God wants us to trust him in everything, to submit to him in every area of our life. And the truth is, we live in an uncertain world. And you and I both know that life sometimes throws us curveballs, and that's when we find and re- are reminded that you and I really aren't in control of anything. When those things happen, we're faced with the reality that we aren't God. <laughs> And we can't solve every problem that comes our way. And sometimes we just have to write it out. But the only person that we can trust in those moments is God. And what God doesn't want for God's people is for us only to seek God in those moments but to know that he is God of everything right now and that we can trust him in all things in our lives, even in the present, because this is a God who promises and offers us abundant life now. He wants us to have godly wisdom in the ways in which we live that will give honor and glory to him in all that we do together. That's why this instruction is for the simple, for the young, and for the wise. It's for everybody. No one's excluded. Jesus tells us this in Matthew's gospel in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom because we recognize that God is in control and has graciously called us into his grace. And in doing so, he has given us great responsibility as his people claim by his grace to shine the light that he's put within us. Choosing to be wise in our own eyes, to wear our faith like a jacket that can be put on and taken off at any given time, is an attempt to separate the sacred from the secular. In fact, it's hiding God's light under a bowl doing so doesn't make rational sense and it doesn't allow the light to shine as it was intended to live unto its purpose to give light to everyone sitting in the darkness around it. You see, our education, our Christian education, the wisdom that we attain, the maturity we experience in our faith, It isn't just for us to grow in our own faith. It's not just for us. It is. But it is also meant to be shared with others that they may grow too in God's wisdom and live in ways that are just and right that reflects the very character of the God who created all of us in His image. And today, God is calling all of us to trust in Him. Not with just bits and pieces but to trust in Him with all of our heart and to submit to Him in all areas of our lives. Otherwise, what we are saying is that we can't trust Him, ultimately. It would be foolish to think that we can trust Him in some things, but that we can't trust Him in others. That would probably imply that we are wiser than God. And I believe that all of us are smarter than that. So my prayer for us, church, as we begin this today, is that we begin rightly where we need to start in the very beginning. And ironically, it's also at the very end of the book. It's the bookends of the entire book. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or wisdom. It is for us to have a healthy fear of the Lord, knowing that His grace and the power of His presence through the Holy Spirit enables us to live in obedience, shining His light in such a way that others might come to know the true wisdom, the true light of the world too. So friends, may it be so this day and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.